What's up, guys? My name is Mike Sesniak, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. Welcome back to the podcast and today's episode is with the incredible Mike Sesniak. Mike is the founder of the brand called The Results Engine and also one of the top rated entrepreneurial podcasts called The Results Engine Podcast. And they specialize in coaching people on how to be the most productive they can, but in the most efficient ways. Essentially, what he is, is an expert on teaching people that it's not the amount of hours that you work, but what you do in those hours that matters. In this episode, we get Mike to share a little bit about why it is important to do audits of your time, how you can become more productive, and also why we need to commit to the action and not the results. We also hear about how Mike was having, or how Mike added a giving component to his business and the impact that it has had on him and the people around him. This was a fun episode and someone that we have come to know very well and have watched grow up through his entrepreneurial journey. So we can't wait for you to hear this incredible episode with our good friend, Mike Sesniak. All right, we are fired up to welcome our good friend, Mike Sesniak, to the show. Mike, welcome, my friend. What's up, boys? Good to see you. Thanks for having me. This has been a a long time coming. Uh, Steve and I have known you for a lot of years. We've been the same mastermind for a lot of years. We've kind of watched each other through the come up phases, you know, knew you back in the day before you were even uh, a full-time entrepreneur. So it's uh, it's going to be fun to chat with you a little bit about that journey of, you know, how you went from being a software engineer and in the corporate world to uh, becoming a full-time entrepreneur and helping people just, you know, get more productive uh, and just uh, explore their businesses, but in a different way than just grinding out more calls, but actually learning how to be more productive within them. And also how you've uh, been able to launch a really successful podcast, you know, running in the top 50 for entrepreneurship um, and things like that. So uh, I would love for you to just start a little bit by just walking us through that journey of how did you go from corporate to full-time entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Spark Notes. Let's see. I mean, like you mentioned, I wrote code for a living for about seven years. And um, there's a whole lot of that journey that ended up being the reason that I ultimately got into the coaching space. But for the longest time, I actually resisted it. Like I avoided it like the plague. And this is back when literally like the best man in my wedding back then, he uh, was pushing me into the space. He's like, dude, you could help a lot of people. But this is like 20... 2013 maybe like instagram was kind of getting bigger but all i saw was 17 year olds on instagram with life coaching their instagram bio and i came from the athletic world dude like coaches had the solutions i didn't really understand this more adult version of coaching so i avoided it um 
fast forward through corporate, very linear climb, every year, big pay raise, big promotion, like did all the things, had all the vanity bullshit that I thought mattered. Six figure salary, senior title at like 25 years old, luxury apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan with the fountains outside and the fountains inside. I didn't belong there at all, um, <laughs> but we had some good connections. So we made it happen. And you know, while all that was happening, I was having my own journey with anxiety, panic attacks, mental health, um, really understanding how the toxic hustle mindset works until it doesn't. And I was figuring out when it didn't. And um, that led me down a bunch of rabbit holes, uh, ultimately helped me realize that I had no idea what it meant to be productive, um, geeked out about productivity for a long time, fast forward a little bit more, met Brennan Burchard, who's one of the top coaches in the world. I heard the term high performance, that resonated. It was like the lens that I looked at everything in my life through, and it gave me permission, right? I talk a lot about how I feel like we're waiting for permission in life, and that was one of those moments for me where I finally got it. And just experiencing those words, experiencing that energy, uh, I wrote my first program on the flight home from that event, proceeded to build that company as a side hustle for a year and a half before leaving corporate in September of 2018, diving off a cliff, figuring out how to fly on the way down. This is the third company I started in corporate. So I had kind of dealt with enough adversity and heartbreak, so to speak. So it made it a little bit easier of a transition, but that was September 2018 and haven't looked back ever since. So whatever is in there, it's a lot, but whatever's in there, it's valuable for your people as role, but that's the spark notes. That's awesome, man. And uh, I want to dive a little bit into that uh, anxiety and hustle culture. Um, I know so many people out there uh, in the grind just feel like I just have to put in five more hours and I can make X amount more dollars. Or if I put in, you know, just keep hustling harder, I'll eventually get there. But I think you're uh, out here trying to rewrite the script on that. So what what yeah. is that? What, what sparked it and how are you rewriting the script? And like, what did you study? Like, how did you learn that? Yeah, so I think the easiest way to explain it is, so when I first started, when I had my first panic attack, it was January 1st, 2014 right which really speaks to like the mental component of of how this all plays together um and that led me on like a year and a half long journey of going to the doctors getting my chest x-ray doing breathing tests like i legitimately thought it was a physiological issue right this is 2014 it wasn't cool to talk about mental health on social media i never met anybody that had ever really it wasn't like nowadays anxiety is a buzzword when yeah. people just don't feel good right it's it's like all of these really powerful words are losing their meaning because people don't know how to use them and back then it wasn't like that so i didn't know anybody that had really dealt with it or, or talked about it uh, i just thought that i couldn't breathe because for anyone that hasn't been through this it feels like there's a thousand pounds on your chest right and in that process, so a year and a half journey, I kind of, thankfully I self-diagnosed it because they had doctors done it. They would have pushed me a route that I didn't necessarily want to go. No disrespect. It just wasn't my path. Right. And I, I heard these terms. I'm like, wow, that sounds like what it is. So I started being the engineering nerd that I am. I was like, okay, well, I kind of figure out like why I'm feeling like this. Right. Like I'm a pretty hard-headed dude, but eventually I learn when this happens enough, right? And I'm like, this sucks. Let's figure out how to not feel like shit anymore. So I'm like, what's going on when I'm feeling this way? And what I realized is 
100% of the attacks that I experienced happened in a moment where I felt guilty for not working. Mm. So I unpacked that a little bit further and I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. But like, how do I, how do I solve that? Like what prevents this? And I realized that there were two pieces for me. Number one was having like clarity around what it actually took to get where I wanted to go and building a little bit of a healthier mindset around it, i.e. toxic hustle, right? Which I'll unpack in a second. But number two, I realized that I had no idea what it meant to be productive, right? For me, it was just like, again, very tightly knit with the toxic hustle. It's like being busy, checking things off a to-do list. Like if you're not working 37 hours a day, you don't friggin' want it bad enough. Like ridiculousness, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people avoid talking about this because frankly, most people probably use this as a crutch and they could use a little more toxic hustle in their life if we're being real. But eventually you get to the point where it doesn't serve you anymore. And and that's where I was. So I, I really had to start unpacking those and like really build a healthy mindset around what what did it actually take? Like I was 23 years old, single, living in Manhattan, making a lot of money, working really hard. Like I'm upset that I'm a little hungover on a Saturday morning, sitting on my couch, feeling like shit. Like, bro, order Grubhub, order Seamless, watch a movie, and like you'll be all right in three hours. And then you can work. Like, chill out. Yeah. So it was a lot of that type of stuff. Um, tactically, it was a lot of mindfulness. It was a lot of personal development, figuring out uh, how to navigate my thoughts a little bit better, meditation being a key piece of that. Um, that's been very volatile in my life, but that was like the start of it. And then obviously learning about how to actually focus on, like, I didn't realize that doing things doesn't matter if the things you're doing don't matter, which sounds so (laughs) naive and like so stupid to say out loud, yet we all operate fairly stupidly throughout the day, right? It's like, we've all put something on a to-do list just to check it off because we want the dopamine hit. And then we're filling our time with stuff that doesn't actually matter, but we're spinning our wheels to get the dopamine hit. So it's figuring out a lot of those pieces. Um, but that was kind of what the journey looked like a little bit. That's so, uh, it's so interesting to hear. It's, it's, I feel very similar in the sense that I, um, did do a lot of the hustle culture. And uh, I found that when I did an actual audit of how many, how productive I was, versus the hours that I was working, when I actually stepped back from the hours I was working and started going camping more, spending time with my fiance, going for more runs and doing that stuff, my actual productivity went up. So I could do more in four hours than I was doing in eight hours because I was focused and it was clear and concise. And then all of a sudden it's just like, oh man, I don't need to work eight hours consistently straight grind them out. I can work four and be ve- and be further ahead than if I worked those eight. And that was a huge turning point. And, and then now it's like, oh yeah, now I've just taken that four hours, figured out how to f- effectively work that and then scaled that to do eight hours again. And now I'm back in the same spot of like, I'm working grinding, but now it's actually doing that productivity check. So before I pass it off to Steve to, to dive a little bit deeper, I wanted to hear like, um, how do you do a productivity check? How do you know when you're actually being productive and getting things done versus just like grinding, but spinning the wheels and not actually getting anywhere? I think an easy way to look at it is just to audit your results, right? But something that you just said is so good. And I want to underline it and kind of like throw a cherry on top of it, which is like, there is zero point to spend eight hours doing something that you can do in four. 
Yeah. None. I don't care what Instagram tells you. I don't care what anybody on social tells you about you not wanting it hard enough. Like it just doesn't make any sense. And um, I think that's really important for people to hear because once you get those pieces dialed in, once you get really clear on that, you can start to pull yourself out, right? Like something, something that blew my mind. I remember eating or eating. I remember reading Eat the Frog by Brian Tracy a long time ago. And for people who haven't read it, every chapter is like a new tip, trick, strategy, whatever for productivity, right? And I got to the one that the the whole tip, the whole chapter was on this one quote, which was work all the time that you're working. And I, I remember reading it and my initial response was like, that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life, right? But then I like, I really sat with it. I'm like, wow, no, that's actually the most powerful thing I've read in this entire book yet. Because I think what most people do, and I I did this very much so, and I think it, it it is part of that toxic hustle culture, which is you feel like you have to be working all the time. So you say you're working all the time, right? You tell your friends, oh no, I can't go out because I have to work. Like they get to the point where they stop even calling you to invite you to things, right? And that was my life for a long time, friends and family. What happens there is you're just spinning your wheels mentally, but are you really working? No, you probably worked one out of the five hours. The rest of it was spent scrolling on YouTube and rationalizing it because you're doing market research or you're learning or some other BS that we like rationalize these things through, right? And I think that's a really important piece. And I definitely struggled with it for a long time. I was not doing things that actually moved the needle. So to your to your point, Randy, I think, like I mentioned, I think an easy thing uh, to do is just to audit our results. But I think a really, really important piece to do is a- any sort of time audit, right? You can Google it, get like a, uh, there's templates everywhere, but like every 15 to 20 minutes, just like capture what you're doing with your time, not from a, a place of, uh, shame or guilt or like beating yourself up mentally, but solely from a place of, huh, eventually I'm going to get into a season where I need more time and I need to know where to pull it from. Right. And if you can capture that over a three to five, seven day window, you're going to get a really clear picture of like what actually drives result or look, like, where am I actually spending my time first? And then we can move into, well, what's actually driving results right? Because then, you know, okay, these are the action items I'm taking on a daily basis, but of those things, like what actually matters, right? And this is where we can get into a really nerdy conversation. Like I genuinely believe most people do the wrong math in most of life and business, but when we can get clear on doing the right math, then we can figure out what are the things on that list that actually matter and prioritize those. And then life and business doesn't become so complex, but that's where I would start. So quickly, Mike, what is, you referenced the wrong math in life and business. What is the wrong math slash on the opposite side of the coin? What's the right math? Well, it depends on what we actually care about, right? So like we could start at, we could start at a very simplistic level of like goal setting. I think we see this with our clients a lot. We work with a lot of door-to-door clients. So like the, the poster child award in that industry is the golden door right? 
it's supposed to be the top 1% of everyone in the industry and the, and the metrics change from industry to industry. But like, um, this past year, I think it was like 130 installs in solar. Um, every other industry has their own things, but I, I see so often people are setting goals based on what society tells them to want, right? They, they want the seven figure business. Well, why? Like, what's a million dollars going to do for you? Like, actually, it, it sounds like a stupid question because we all want more money, right? But like, what is it actually going to do? Is is there any emotional attachment to that goal? And odds are it's not, right? We had a lot of clients that were like, okay, my goal for this year is to do 130 installs. It's like, why? Because the fucking industry told you to want that? Like, so you're talking about getting your own personal clarity on like the priorities of your life. Yeah. And that's at like the, the tip of the iceberg. As we go further and further, we can actually like quant when it comes to like quantifying ROI, like co coaching in general is a big one. I think a lot of people, they'll like do the math and be like, well, I'm going to get this many calls and like, da -da 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 -da. it's like, dude, I'm not paying a thousand bucks a call. Like I have coaches in my world that I pay 30 plus K a year for our team to get access to. I'm not paying it because they're going to generate me more than 30K. Like I'm paying for it so that when I experience a problem, I can solve it faster and the problem doesn't cost me 100K, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's very different math. So yeah, doing the wrong math is a really like clickbaity tagline, but it applies in a lot of areas. And I just don't, I think you could really sum it up and boil it down to like just being intentional. And like, just being clear with what are the actual, like leading and lagging indicators that you want to be paying attention to. Okay. And when we get really clear on those things, odds are we're going to shift where we're focusing because we're just not, we're not dialed in with what actually matters to us. You were talking a minute ago about, um, actions and results and things. There's a, um, uh, a phrase or a comment I want to share with you to get your interpretation of and comments on. Commit to the actions, not the results. Yep. Go. <laughs> Go. I love it. No, 100%, dude. We work with sales guys, right? So the, the cliche that you always hear in the sales world is you have to abstract from the outcome. We don't control the outcome. And that's really like cute advice, but it's abstract. Like, how do you actually do it? Well, you do it by focusing on your inputs, not the outcomes. Everything that we do with our clients is purely action-based. We do our best to reverse engineer from the target, right? And in the sales world, you can do that if you calculate all the, if you track all the right data and you have your conversions at every step of the process and then success becomes math and it's never perfect, but you're doing your best guesstimation. Um, but it's always based on your production, Right. It's always been, I, I don't mean production as in like the result. I mean your output, right? What are the actions that you're taking on a daily and weekly basis? And when you pair that with doing the right math, everything shifts, right? I was, I used the, uh, the solar example earlier, 130 installs a year. We had a, a client, she's a rock star. She doubled her, her volume from the previous year. But at the beginning of the year, her goal was 130. And it took a couple more months for her to realize like, dang, like this is stupid. Like there's no attachment to this. I actually don't care at all. And we had a really raw conversation. It's like, what do you actually want? She's like, I just want to, I want to double. 
I just want to hit doubles. It's like, okay, so let's do the math. We attract the data. We have trackers that we build out for our clients that kind of spit out what the volume needs to be based on historical conversions and their targets and whatnot. Did we realize that in order for her to, based on her conversions, all she had to do was knock 19 doors a day, five days a week to double her income. And she blew that out of the water. And I watched her entire energy shift because that's literally less than an hour of work, right? Like maybe an hour and a half if the doors are like far apart, if the driveways are long, whatever, and you're not on a Segway, it's an hour and a half of work. And she was doubling her income, which she blew out of the water, but it was always focused on her inputs, like output, whatever you want to say, like her actions, Mm -hmm. right? And it led to the the outcome, but she's no longer concerned with it because all she's concerned about are the commitments to herself. So, oh, I want to speak to those who might still be in, I'll say, corporate America, corporate Canada, that corporate role. Maybe they're thinking they got the side hustle, like you've you've been building for a year or two, or maybe it's new, or maybe they want to take that leap into entrepreneurship. Um, what are the contrasts in that space between corporate America and uh, business ownership that people aren't expecting? I'm still caught up on the corporate Canada thing. I've never heard that before. <laughs> um, the contrast between the two. That's a really interesting question. Because like fr- from my perspective, just the uh nurture the seed a little bit like from being in sales for whatever it was decade and change um you know walk in the office i had you know my commands from my superior officer kind of thing very military model and then it was like hey go do these actions expect these types of results and go but then as you move from having direction given to you to having to create the direction yourself yeah it becomes way more challenging to maintain that that um oh what's what i'm looking for that that productivity of just being like cool my my attention is only on three or four things like my particular role in this company to having to wear 13 different hats and maintain productivity in each one of those things 90 percent of which doesn't help any revenue coming to your business um but Anyways, go for it. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree. I remember one of the things that was really surprising to me when I first left corporate, and, and let me add a little context here as I share this. Back then, everyone has their own definition of success and freedom, right? For me, all I wanted, this sounds so stupid, but like ultimate freedom to me was being able to work out in the middle of the day. Like that was it. I remember before I left corporate, there was one day I was training for a powerlifting, one of my first power, if not my first, my first powerlifting competition. And I didn't have time to work out in the morning or something. And I I had to hit it in the middle of the day. And I just remember feeling how good it was to walk to a random New York sports club down on Wall Street and get a workout in in the middle of the day, right? That's all I cared about. So fast forward to leaving corporate i was so excited about it right like you have all this freedom that you wanted dude i was blown away at how long it took me to actually build a schedule that worked that was consistent 
And I was building a company around productivity. Like, let me say that again for people listening. I was building a company around productivity and high performance, and I even struggled with it. Like, it was really challenging and very confusing to me early on. But I think that leads to your exact point, which was this idea of like the accountability of someone giving us orders versus being able to take our own, right? And I might be adding on to that a little bit, but that's where I take it. Like, cool, I'm going to time block and I'm essentially giving myself orders, right? There was accountability from a, a job or a, a, a manager, a higher up within the corporate structure that you don't miss, right? Because if you did, your quote unquote guaranteed income is going to go away. Yet it took so much longer to build that personally. And I think that has a lot to do with like building discipline. Um, you know, I, I just had an interview go live on our show with our mutual friend, Cole Hatter. And that's something that we talked about a lot was this toxic hustle versus discipline, right? And I think the discipline is what yields the self-confidence. It leads the trust in your word. And that's really the, the pinnacle of what we're all striving for. To answer your question after this long-winded rant, I think that was the most surprising thing to me was how long it would take to build that because I thought I had that. But the second that all of this freedom was unveiled, it's like greater responsibility. And all of a sudden, it's showing me all of my blind spots. It's like the, building a business is the most Im incredible personal development you can ever do. <laughs> and I think that was the first moment that it put a magnifying glass on me. Yeah. A hundred percent could agree with all of that. And and just the new pressure that comes with it. Like you said, when your boss tells you to do something, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll get it done. No problem. When 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 there's nobody above you to tell you to do something, you're like, is this the right move? Am I doing the right thing? Is this actually what I'm supposed to be doing? Or should I go research the 15 other people who have 15 different views on how I should actually be doing it instead of listening to the one superior that told me the system that works? Like, it's yeah. crazy. So... I mean, we could probably we could probably sit here and wrap on this all day. Um, I want to ask you one quick one before we start moving into our giving round, where we ask you some more giving style questions. But what's your thoughts on work life balance? Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's out there? Do you think it ebbs and flows? I've heard all of them. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it quickly. Yeah, I, I prefer harmony. I think balance insinuates fifty fifty, and I think that's a pipe dream. And I think if you if you strive for 50 50 you are basically mandating that you settle for mediocrity on both sides of that seesaw both sides of that balance um i mean like i find myself thinking a lot about like this in terms of seasons right like there's a season in business where you're going to be like 70 maybe 80 percent there and like 20 percent life stuff right and then you're going to flip and you might even go 100% in one direction or another. I think that's really the way to do it. And I believe that true high performance is figuring out how to be all in wherever you are in that harmony. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. I prefer the term work-life harmony. I think that that's more indicative of what people really mean. And uh, yeah, I just think balance is a myth. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the giving thing here, dude. I know that uh, obviously we got connected through a giving uh, community and stuff. What did adding a uh, giving component to your company do for you when we talk productivity, when we talk excitement, things like that? 
Um, how did it excite you? How did it expand you? And how did it help you grow? This is going to be an interesting, an odd answer probably to you guys, but I have no idea. And here's what I mean. Like every business I've ever built with the exception of my duct tape wallet business in fifth grade had a four purpose element before I had any idea what it actually cool. meant. And that's why I felt so at home at Thrive. Like, dude, I went to my first big Thrive three weeks after leaving corporate and I cut my runway in half financially to join. Like, it was crazy. Um, but I felt so at home because that was something that we had always done. You know, like, dude, even the network marketing company that I was a part of for half a decade, they had their own giving component. And then you could build your business around a giving component, which we, I still have these like, donation boxes probably in my parents house somewhere in their attic or something right like it's just always been an integral piece so it was just natural to introduce it into this company as well and um yeah i don't think that was the answer that you were expecting but like it's awesome like i could speak about what it is yeah. now what we like but or what we like about it but like dude people want their money to go somewhere not just into my pocket like they yeah it's cool they see stuff on instagram they they like to see the uh are like the influencers that everyone's looking up to you like to see their cool stuff but if that's all that the money's going to it's like i don't know it's kind of so what are you supporting these days what's what's exciting you obviously you know adding and giving components fun but you have to be attached to it you have to have some sort of uh, involvement inside of where that money goes to make you want to work harder and be more productive and go bigger so you can give bigger. What's, what's, what are you supporting these days and what's exciting you? Yeah. So within our coaching company, uh, lately, the last two years or so, we've been working with International Network of Hearts, Larry Tucker and his mother Alma and their whole family. They're awesome. Um, this year, we're also going to be introducing Make Money Matter Inc. Now that that's a, a formal foundation uh, with more of our mutual friends. So um, those both work in the human trafficking space, uh, which it, it's really a disgusting part of this world and an unfortunate part. Um, but building such a cool friendship with Larry over the years through the masterminds where we all met, um, you know, like that was my bridge to that world so it, it's something that i'm super passionate about because of those experiences and uh yeah it's it's a shame that it, it exists but you know yeah dude. they're really cool work over there i get that uh i'll pass it off to steve in a sec uh here but what's what's it look like to add a giving component to your company you know so that's i'd say like the two biggest blocks in this world of stopping people from putting giving components in are one they just don't know what charity to invest into or work with yeah. because you never know what to do and the second one is actually how you implement it into your company um so many people exactly. struggle with it and and face the challenges of it how uh how did you guys implement it and what does it look like yeah so i think the first one's a really big concern right like you're all the time these nonprofits like only a like a single digit percentage of funds go to the the actual work right which is just horrible so i think vetting them is really important um i feel super blessed that because of the networks that we run in like i've been boots on the ground and like know the people running these organizations personally and can feel really good about that um but 
in terms of integrating it, like it's so much easier than people think. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but like it, and Randy, you and I just spoke about, we have to revamp it just because of the financials of our business. You know, I, I got a little too ambitious about the giving, which is super cool. And we gave a shit ton of money away, but I'm like, okay, I got to make sure that the ship keeps floating too. Right. So like yeah. we had to re-architect it a little bit, same mission, just different math. Right. I was doing the wrong math for a little bit. Um, but it's so easy to to bake these things in that I don't think people realize. Like you could do, we did a gross revenue share for a while. You could do profit sharing. You could do like per client, like static distributions and just bake it into your margins. Like I don't think people realize that it's as simple as like, cool, do like 10 bucks a client, 100 bucks a client, 1,000 bucks a client, whatever it is based on your math. And just charge more for it and just communicate to the customer that that's what the dollars are for right as long as it's a reasonable percentage like no one's going to say anything and they're going to be excited that that's where their dollars are going right like you don't necessarily need to eat that cost but either way that it, it's way easier than people think that's the right math that we were referencing earlier on in this conversation <laughs> yeah. um Dude, is there a story that you can quickly tell us that is one of your favorite moments of giving that when you look back to it today, still just like pulls the heartstrings and gives you goosebumps? Yeah, there are, I mean, there are happy moments and then there are like really like eye-opening and like frankly heartbreaking moments. Mm. Um, both probably come from my first trip to the orphanage with International Network of Hearts uh the heartbreaking part just being like kind of in i was like it was one of the few times in my life that i was genuinely at a loss for words you know like when you're like dude they were kids as young as like two years old and i'm like man the fact that they're here means that they came from that mm -hmm. right and the fact that that exists is absolutely freaking disgusting um but the flip of that is it made me that much more excited about the work to support it, right? Because the more that I can go and sell, the more that I can go and enroll, the more clients that we can help, well, the more that we can give, right? And we can help those kids. Um, there was also, we, we played soccer down there on the, in this like field. And I remember one of the quietest, uh kids at the orphanage i like played the ball across and and he literally like scored a sick goal and i like lifted this kid up and ran him around the uh the entire field like every both teams were celebrating it was so cool so that was like a happier moment i think they were both from the same trip we've been out a couple times at the orphanage and they're so awesome down there but yeah dude i love those people pretty Pretty life-changing when you get to spend time with those kids, especially with the language barriers and you don't speak Spanish. Well, I don't speak Spanish and then and they don't speak English. And so it's like you just learn how to connect with your heart and love and and expression as opposed to like, hey, how's your day going? You have to like joke around and play with them and just and just have some more fun. So it's it's very special. Thanks for for sharing that. Cause it's man, if you haven't spent time in places like that, it really changes you as a human. You have to, dude. It's such an it's such an amazing experience. Hey, right, so we're going to jump into our uh, famous giving round here. We're just going to ask you some rapid fire questions about giving. Are you ready? Let's do it. Brag on one company that you like that gives back. 
Stella's kind of cool. The chalice, that's yeah. awesome. And there's a really cool, there's a lot of really cool dog or like dog brands that I'm I'm no my wife is uh runs like a dog wellness center. So I'm seeing a lot of those, like grounds and hounds, I think is one of them. They do a lot of cool stuff with giving back in the uh uh in that like foster and like yeah dog adoption world. What would get you more excited, donating a $1 million check or spending a week physically helping others? Probably spending a week and hopefully it's a, an equal contribution, right? Like there's something different around like, it's cool to write checks and send wires, but like if you don't, if you can't quantify it, if you don't like, if you're not boots on the ground experiencing it, it's very easy to get detached from experiencing exactly how impactful that stuff is. So I would just make it a mission to make that work worth way more than a million bucks in that week. Yeah, 100%. Who inspires you with their giving? Dude, probably like most of our friends in in our Thrive community. You know, Cole and Sonia obviously being like the faces of it, what they're doing uh, with their orphanage and Make Money Matter is super sick. But um, there are so many cool people in, in our community. I can't, I can't pick one. In your opinion, which of these is the right math entrepreneurs including a give back component in their business immediately or once they have some success and money in the bank account dude come on immediately it's especially if it's percentage based like everyone's like i'm gonna donate when i have no you're not dude like if you can't give 10 percent of 100 bucks you ain't giving 10 percent of a hundred thousand so immediately Love that and the passion and conviction around it. It's a, a, a no-brainer. Uh, what's the first thing you think of when you hear go big to give big? The first thing, I mean, I think of you guys, obviously. <laughs> is that is that a fair answer? I guess so. I guess so. What's what's the what's the logic behind outside of thinking of up but when you hear it from like a business standpoint? I mean, I always view like business as service. Um if anyone hasn't read the go-giver by bob berg and john david mann they need okay. to because it's the best book of all time shout out to yeah. bob and, and john david mann um but they put it so well because everyone says impact over income which is cool and like it's a life pillar of mine as well but it's like your income will always be directly proportional to the number of lives that you touch in a positive way so if you look at business that way it's always service it's like how do i help more people and then if you attach a giving component to it as well then it's just freaking exponential. So like, that's just how I think of business. Um, I think it's how business should be done and how they should be built. Mm -hmm. In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Excited. Hmm. Excited. Fired up, baby. The, uh, the last question we got for you, Big Mike, is uh, do you believe that money can buy you happiness? Uh, yep. <laughs> Walk <laughs> us through that. If you don't, you don't know where to shop. 100%. Um, walk us through that lo logic. Yeah. Money is such a taboo topic. I think the simplest way to talk about it is it's like an amplifier. People like to villainize wealth today's day and age, frankly, because I think they're bored and they need something to talk shit about. But it's like, if you genuinely don't think money makes you happy, you've never given back to something that you're truly passionate about. You've never gifted something truly life-changing to someone. Like there's so many more things that money does than just buy you watches, cars, and houses, like private jets. Like it's so much bigger than that. 
And when you park it properly into other people, into experiences, dude, try and like, try and convince me that that doesn't generate happiness. Like you can't do it. I love you. We're just cut from the same cloth and speak the exact same language. So that's, uh, that's why we become good friends. And, uh, dude, just thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, enlightening our audience with with everything that you shared today was super valuable. Um, where's the the best place for our guests to go find your content if they want to get more involved in what you do? Yeah, first of all, thank you guys. It's good to see you. Um, yeah, dude, honestly, best place is probably just resultsengine.com. You can link everything else from there. Uh, I spend the most time on Instagram. Um, but we have our podcast, the results engine podcast on every major platform. We just launched YouTube, which I'm super fired up about all that's linked on resultsengine.com though. So that's the main hub. That's amazing. I love that dude. And, uh, you don't give out your Instagram handle because it's too hard to spell your last name. Probably I'm assuming, right? Yeah. It's super Polish <laughs> and there's like, you'll have to link it up. It's, it's probably you search Mike Sesniak on Instagram. There's probably at least like eight to 10 fake crypto scammer account. <laughs> that Instagram doesn't give a damn about. So with all the Polish Z's, it's very easy to like slide <laughs> the letters in there and no one notices. That's so awesome. I got to be careful over there. I love that. And we'll all be linked. I'll in never DM people selling crypto. That's, that's for sure. That's that's becoming like a, a disclaimer at the bottom of everybody's uh, world now. So no. uh, well, anyways, man, we really appreciate you coming in. And inspiring us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so we can give bigger with our profits and we just cannot wait to watch what you're going to create in this world with everything that you're doing man so thank you for coming on thank you for having me guys thank you for listening to the show if you know someone who's an example of go big to get big we would love if you could share this with them we want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends also if you enjoyed the show Take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.